The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org slash give. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sodom, Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum. Will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who, hear, who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects the one, him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Chad Middlebrooks. I'm one of the other pastors on staff, and I do add my welcome to Wills. Glad to be together this Lord's Day in worship and to open God's Word and to study and mine the depths of the truth that is here. Uh, last week, we did pick back up in our study of Luke's Gospel here in chapter, in chapter 9 last week, and we read how Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem in order that it would culminate in the cross, that he would lay down his life. And for the most part, the first nine chapters of Luke's gospel really is revealing who the Messiah, Jesus Christ, really is. And while we continue to see his mission unfold, really from chapter 10 onward, we begin to see what life of the, for the believer is supposed to look like in light of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And last week we saw the nature of discipleship. And just as the Son of God had a call on his life that would lead him to the cross to lay down his life for sinners, so all of us who put our faith and trust in the work and the person of Christ 
also have a call on our lives as well, as we'll see this morning. So with that, let's go before the Lord and let's pray, and then we will jump in. Lord, amid living scurried lives, bouncing from one activity and one responsibility to another, we ask this morning that you allow us to slow down, to rest, to hear from your voice, that we might hear you speak to us. Would you open our hearts? Would you open my lips to proclaim your truth and your truth alone, that we might hear it, receive it, and be changed by it? Father, if you would do this, we will return thanks. So speak, O Lord, for we are here and listening. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, recently I read a story about a man named Kim McGrady, a father who was vacationing with his family down at the beach in Florida. And one day they were out walking at the beach and McGrady saw three people out in the ocean that were struggling to swim and it was a very uh, strong rip current that day. And so McGrady, who's a great swimmer, didn't think much about it. He just went, went out into the ocean, began to swim in order to try to save these three strangers. And so the first person he brings back to the shore safely and goes back again for the second person and brings them back safely. And then he goes out for the third person, but the rip current was so strong that it kept pulling him further and further away, and ultimately he drowned. Kim McGrady gave his life so that others could live. And he counted the cost, and he deemed that his life was worth putting in the way of danger in order to save those who were drowning. He took action that day. Now, when it comes to those who are spiritually drowning and who need saving, what is our response? Do we take action? Are we willing to sacrifice and risk so that others can find the rescuing grace of Christ through his gospel? Are we willing to assume the weighty responsibility of being a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to follow Christ? We saw last week, again, there's a cost that's associated with being a believer in Christ. And this morning, we're going to see four things that characterize a true disciple of Jesus. First, disciples of Christ fervently pray for vast gospel opportunities that are in the world. Secondly, they fully trust in God to supply their every need. And then thirdly, they boldly proclaim the kingdom while expecting mixed responses to that message. And then finally, true disciples soberly recognize the eternal consequences of rejecting Jesus. So in verse 1, we read that Jesus appointed 72 people and he sends them out ahead of him as he continues his earthly ministry. And remember, just a chapter earlier in chapter 9, Jesus sent out his 12 apostles to do likewise, to go out in his name before him. And throughout the scriptures, we read about this idea of sending. So God the Father sent the Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to redeem a people for himself. And Christ successfully completed that mission, was raised from the dead, and now is reigning at the right hand of the Father. And the Father and the Son sent forth the Holy Spirit to dwell in the hearts of his people. And now the church, the bride of Christ, is sent out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the nations. And so this idea of sending is not a new concept. But notice what Jesus calls his followers to do in verse 2. He says to the 72, The harvest is plentiful. 
but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. The first thing Jesus calls his disciples to do is to pray for disciples to be raised up to go out into the nations to proclaim his truth. There is much work to be done in order for the good news of Christ to go forth in this world. But I want to begin by posing the question to us, is this what we find ourselves praying for often in our daily lives? To pray for workers and laborers to be raised up to take the gospel forth. Do we pray for people here at LNPC to be raised up to go and take the gospel to the lost, those who don't know Jesus? Parents, are we willing to be so daring to pray that our children would be raised up to gain a heart for missions and go in the name of Christ? Are we praying for our missionaries that we support here at LNPC and the work that they're doing all around the world in the name of Jesus? What about praying for ourselves? That we would have eyes to see and boldness to seize the opportunities that God gives us to shine his light of truth into the lives of others. Jesus' disciples are people of fervent prayer because they see how vast the opportunities are in the world, but how few in number the workers are to do the work. Prayer is essential and vital to carrying out the mission which God has given to his disciples. And as professing followers of Christ, we have to ask this question. Are these the prayers on our lips to the living God to raise up laborers? This gospel mission will not be accomplished without God's people recognizing their dependent need upon him in prayer. But we will not be moved to fervent prayer until we actually embrace and value the kingdom of God and that mission over our own mission and our own purposes. But Jesus not only tells his disciples to be fervent in prayer, he also sends them out in mission ahead of them. And what Jesus is showing about those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ is that they're called into the family of God in order to then be sent out in his name. And this is not something that we can take or leave and decide whether we want to take up that mission or not. All disciples of Jesus are called to make disciples. But notice that none of these 72 are seminary trained. None of them are pastors. They're all lay people that Jesus sends out two by two to carry his message forth. And in a way, we can say that they are actually part of the answer to the prayer that they're called to pray for laborers to be raised up. Because they are to go themselves. And then notice the manner that he sends them out in verses 3 and 4. He sends them out as lambs among wolves. Comforting. In other words, they are not to convert people by force or by coercion. And also that they are not to be shocked when they face opposition. Because it's not going to be a walk in the park if you follow Christ. His disciples will inevitably face opposition and danger in the form of persecution, loss, ridicule, and scorn if we go out in his name. And then in verse 4, he tells his followers as they go, you're going to travel lightly. You're not going to take anything extra. No extra pair of sandals or money bag or any of those things. And his point is, is I want you fully committed and dependent upon me to supply your every need. This is the same manner he sent the 12 out as well as they went out. And furthermore, 
these 72 are to go out with a strong sense of urgency, not allowing distractions, not taking up in long greetings, which were the custom of the day as they traveled down the road, but to keep their head focused on the mission at hand, that they were called to take this truth forward. And so far, we see that participating in the mission of King Jesus, he calls his disciples to be prayer-filled, to be dependent upon him, and to be urgent in the mission. Now, if I'm honest, when it comes to these three things, I have to admit that often they are woefully lacking in my own life. My prayer life can be inconsistent. And as far as dependence, I can often live as though it's upon me to provide for myself and my family. And when it comes to urgency, I can feel like I have all the time in the world. And really the things that are most urgent in my life, if if I'm evaluating, are the things that I desire and I want. Not the physical or spiritual needs of others around me. I wonder if you might can relate to any of that. The reason I think that we can often live prayerless, independent, and complacent lives is because we forget that God is sending us out with specific purposes and particular tasks that he's uniquely assigned for us. Many of us wake up each day and we just kind of take what the day brings us. And we don't give much, if any, thought as to how God is seeking to use us in every conversation that we have, in every circumstance we face, in order to shine the light of Christ to others. Our vision is way too small for our lives. Hear Paul's words from Ephesians 2. It says, You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God has prepared beforehand that you might walk in them. If we truly believed in our hearts that each day God is sending us out to specific people with particular tasks that He's prepared uniquely for us to carry out, we would live more prayer filled lives. We would live in greater dependence upon him to supply our needs. And we would live with greater urgency for the call of the gospel to go forth. And this is exactly the nature of God's sovereign plan. Because from eternity past, God has equipped and supplied each one of us with the personality that we have, with the giftings that we have, with our age, our gender, our ethnicity, our means that we have, so that we can carry out his gospel mission into the lives of those that we interact with every day. Do you realize that by God's grace, to use you as his instrument, that there are certain people that have needs who God has specifically prepared for you to speak his truth into at particular times? Will we trust each day in the midst of any and all sacrifice and hardship that God will supply our every need for each of the good works that he's calling us to faithfully carry out for his glory. In a daily prayer blog, pastor and author Scotty Smith, he describes our dependence upon God as a costly, messy work. This is part of his prayer. Listen, we're supposed to be getting dirt under our nails as we do the hard and heart work of evangelism and missions. You, Christ, send us out like lambs among wolves. It's a costly, messy, much-resisted work that you've given us to do. But it's all worth the sacrifice, the tears, the conflict. For you came to us as the lamb among sinners and the lamb for sinners. The price you paid to have and to hold your bride. 
makes our most agonizing work a kingdom joy. Our obedience to diligently seize the opportunities that we've given to share our faith and to trust that God will supply our every need is predicated on our submission and guidance of the Holy Spirit in leading our lives. Will we trust that our labors, as hard as they may seem at times, in the name of Christ, are not in vain? In verses 5 through 11, we see that Jesus calls his followers next to boldly proclaim the kingdom while expecting to receive mixed responses. What Jesus reveals about his followers in these verses is he says that a growing Christian is actually a reaching Christian, meaning someone who is involving their lives and the lives of others and proclaiming truth and discipling others. And Jesus gives very practical instructions as they enter these towns what the people should do as they go on mission. He said, first, when you enter a town, find a son of peace. Find someone who is hospitable to you, that you can have favor with, connect with them. And then whatever they put before you to eat, eat it. Don't get bogged down in the regulations and other things. And then also don't bounce from house to house seeking to be entertained by various guests. All these things will sidetrack you and waste your time. Stay focused on the mission that I'm giving you. And then in verse 9, he says, Heal the sick in the towns that you visit and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near. The messengers, his messengers, are to proclaim this message that the kingdom of God is not like what you anticipated it being. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's not a political kingdom. It's not a military kingdom. The kingdom of God is the sovereign rule and reign of God through his son, Jesus Christ, in the lives and the hearts of his people. And now that Jesus is on the scene, the kingdom has come. And the way that God's kingdom is manifested is by surrendering to Jesus and following his truth. And then Jesus, just as he sent out the apostles to heal the sick, he, heals the 70, he sends the 72 to heal as well. And the king has come and the manifestation of his power and authority is now seen as his people are called in his name to heal those who are sick. And his power is also seen in how the lives of his people are transformed by his gospel truth. Well, now we have to ask ourselves, maybe we have received this gospel message, but then we have to go a step further and ask, do we know how to communicate this gospel truth? Do we know how to summarize the gospel and share it with others? If we're going to reach our neighbors in this city and our mountain and the world with the gospel, we have to know how to articulate that to others. To tell people that even though we're sinners before a righteous God, that God loved us so much that he sent his son to live and die and raise in our place. And Jesus took on the penalty of our sin so that we could be forgiven. And now he calls us to believe in his work, to repent, to embrace this gospel truth so that we can be welcomed into his kingdom and welcomed into the family of God to live lives that bring honor and glory to him each day. Now we can say a whole lot more about the gospel, but it is at least that. And there are plenty of places in the scriptures that we can go to hear summary form of the gospel. Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 5, John chapter 3. But if we embrace this truth, and can we articulate it, but then let's go a step farther and ask the question, are we boldly proclaiming it when God gives us opportunities to do so? 
Just as was the case when Jesus sent out the 72, we're going to find it to be the case for us as well. When we do share our faith and share the truth of the gospel, it's going to be mixed with, met with a mixed bag. Some are going to hear it and they're going to receive it gladly and embrace it. But then there are going to be others who are going to reject it. But as Jesus says in verse 11, whether a person receives the message or not, does it make it any less true that the kingdom is at hand and Christ has come? And so as we are faithful to live out and proclaim the gospel in our lives, we are also to wisely and winsomely warn of those who reject it, of the seriousness of their rejecting of the gospel. Jesus instructs his followers, he tells those that reject the message, he says, tell them even the dust of your own town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. This is to be a warning to those who reject the message that they are responsible to what they have seen and what they have heard. But now let's be clear what this warning, how it's supposed to look and how it's not supposed to look. This warning is to be given by those to have great compassion and empathy on the lost, to see them come to faith. It's not to be a warning given as some Christians often do out of self-righteousness. Well, I've done my duty. I've shared it. That's up to you if you reject it. I'm moving on. It's not my deal. The goal of proclaiming the gospel is that the lost come to embrace it and they get to taste and receive what you and I have received by being forgiven of our sin and welcomed into the family. And so we must pray fervently, trust fully, and boldly proclaim. But lastly, Jesus' followers are also to soberly recognize the eternal consequences of rejecting Jesus. Verses 13 through 16, Jesus pronounces woes, these dire warnings on those who reject his message. And see, what we see is rejection of God's truth really is the difference between eternal life and eternal death and separation from God. He says in verse 16, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. We need to feel the weightiness of this statement here. Because Jesus is saying when you share your faith and share the gospel and they reject you, they're not just rejecting you and your message. They're rejecting the living God who created all things and who sustains it. And this fact that this is true should cause us to evaluate the intentionality with which we live our lives and proclaim the gospel to others. This should sober us and give us a much greater sense of urgency for those in our proximity, at work, at school, that don't know Christ. For what Jesus makes clear in these woes that he pronounces on these Galilean cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum is that they're accountable for what they've heard and what they've seen. And they're even more accountable in a sense because they have greater witness, greater evidence They've seen the miraculous power of Jesus on display. They've heard the truth of the kingdom, and yet they missed it. And Jesus says the judgment will be worse for you than that of Tyre and Sidon and Sodom in the Old Testament. This past week, I heard a story told back in June at the Platinum Jubilee of the Queen Elizabeth II's marking of the 70th anniversary of her extension to the throne And Robert Griffin, who served as a royal protection officer with uh, the royal family for some 30 plus years, and the last 14 of his years were with the queen herself. And he tells a story about how he and the queen were at Balmoral Castle in Scotland, and they were having a picnic one day, just he and the queen. 
and they decided to go for a little stroll down one of the trails. And so they go down the trail and they come upon two Americans who were hiking the trail. And they get into a conversation and Richard said he could tell right away they didn't recognize the queen and didn't know who she was. And so they're talking and the Americans have said, oh, this is where we've been, this is where we're about to go. And uh, so then one of the Americans asked the queen, said, well, where are you from? And she said, oh, I'm from London, but I have a vacation home just over the hills over there. And he said, well, how long have you been coming here? And she said, oh, I've been coming here since I was a little child, probably about 80 years. And Richard said, you could see the wheels spinning. And then he, one of them responded and says, well, well, you must have met the queen if you've been coming that long. And Richard said, without skipping a beat, the queen turned to them and goes, well, I haven't, but he has regularly. <laughs> and you could see, he said, you could see them just light up and they look at Richard and they go, what's she like? And of course, being around her for so long, he had some little f fun with it. And he said, oh, she can be kind of cantankerous at times, but she's got a great sense of humor. And so he said, without Thanks, skipping a beat, the man, one of the men, puts his arm around Richard and hands the camera to the queen and says, will you take a picture of us? <laughs> and so she takes the picture and Richard insists that he go and take a picture of them with the queen. And so they say their goodbyes and they go about on their way. And the queen turns to Richard and says, I sure would love to be a fly on the wall when they get back to America and show their friends that photo. <laughs> These two Americans were in the presence of royalty, talking with the queen herself, themselves. But they missed it. They missed it completely. But other than their foolish mistake and not knowing who they were talking to, they, there was no eternal consequences to their blunder. Just some embarrassment when they got back and told their friends. But this is not the case when it comes to the gospel and encountering Jesus Christ. There are many who have heard the truth of God's word and who have seen evidence of his power, yet they've missed it. They've rejected it. And there are devastating consequences for those who outright reject Jesus Christ. We cannot be neutral when it comes to the things of God. And the majority of us have heard repeatedly the gospel truths each Lord's Day as we gather. As so we take them on our lips and sing them, as we hear them read and as we hear them preached. And we've seen God's faithfulness to his promises in our own lives and in the lives of others around us. But what are we doing with that truth? How is it impacting our lives and the way that we live them? To whom much is given, much is required. An increased understanding of God's revelation means an increase of accountability. Each day, as we hear these truths, our hearts are either growing more and more soft to the gospel, embracing it as we submit ourselves unto it, or our hearts are becoming more and more hardened by that truth, and we're rejecting it. There is no middle ground. John makes it very clear in John chapter 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. And speaking of his second coming in Revelation 22, Jesus himself says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. But until that day comes, or we are called home, there is still time. And so if you're here this morning, and you are in active rebellion against Christ, and that truth has not penetrated your heart and changed you, 
today is the day for you to surrender your life unto the Lordship of Christ and experience his peace and his salvation. Do not delay because the consequences are dire and eternal. But if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, the eternal consequences of those that reject Christ should move us to action with deep compassion and urgency. Would you entrust yourself into the work of his kingdom, giving your life away unto his mission? May we not spend our wills with our time and our energy and effort upon things that are temporal, that do not matter, and that will not last. Would we pray, go and tell of the good news of Christ, that by the Spirit others might hear, repent, and embrace that gospel truth and have their eternity changed forever. May we do and be, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. There is no greater cause than we can give our lives to than to make disciples of the nations in the name of Jesus. The call is clear. We're called to pray fervently, to trust wholly, to boldly proclaim and soberly recognize the consequences. And the cost is made clear. It will mean us laying down our lives for the sake of the kingdom. Will we entrust ourselves to our great king and carry out his service and his mission for his glory so that all may hear of the good news of Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you looked upon us in the midst of sin and rebellion and you did something about it. Thank you for your son who came and accomplished what we could not have accomplished and thank you that you involve us in your kingdom mission. Would you by your grace strengthen us and embolden us that we might pray fervently for laborers to be raised up and to see that we are counted among those laborers to go in the power of the Spirit to boldly proclaim your good news. And Father, may we see the fruit of that good news going forth as lives are changed and the lost are found and saved by the work of Jesus. Would you do that within our families? Would you do that in our workplace, in our schools, on this mountain, in the city, and all around the world until that day that you come and return? And we give all praise and glory to you, the Lamb who was slain on our behalf. Father, do these things for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray, amen.